Good morning. morning. If you guys have your Bible with you, you can go to um, Luke 22. That's where we're going to be at um, this morning. Um, Man, just so much amazing stuff happening um, in these moments. Just... Man, um, good morning, wow, um, so, uh, man, just love coming out of worship like that, where you just need a breath, right, you're like, man, um, just need to focus for a minute, because it's so amazing, just getting to worship him, right, just getting to um, interact for a moment with God, and just say, you know what, God, you're good, you're so good, and um, just getting to say um, to him what what our hearts are thinking, I just love it, and um, man, um, Father God, just move, right, um, God, just move, um, God, just all the things you say, uh, just do those things, um, God, your, your word says you're a savior, um, God, for some of us in the room this morning, that's exactly what we need, uh, we walked in lost, and we don't have to leave that way. Uh, so God, I'm just praying that you just, um, your word in First Corinthians, I think it is, says that we're spiritually blinded by the enemy before we know you. I'm just praying, Jesus, that you just take that away this morning, God, that you just open up our eyes. God, we know, Jesus, you're the one who can speak to people that have never seen and give them ability to see. Um, you've done it. <laughs> Physically, we've seen it, and spiritually, God, we've experienced it, some of us, and we're just praying that for others this morning, that God, if, if what we need this morning is a Savior, that, that's what you'll be. God, and for some of us this morning, we, we need that comforter. Um, God, maybe it feels like everything's blowing up, and we just need you to, to come in and to be the comforter this morning. And God, if that's what we need this morning, I just pray you'll be that because God, you're not like mutually exclusive. You don't have to just show up and do one thing today. You can show up and do everything today. So God, you know what I need and I just pray you'll be that and I'll get out of the way and let you do that. But you know what they need and I pray God, they'll get out of the way and let you do that. Because God, this morning, we don't want to miss you. We don't want anybody to miss you. So God, just speak. Um, get me out of the way. Um, God, focus me so you can use me. And I love you. Amen. Um, man, I just needed that. Um, so sorry if you think I pray a lot. I do. Um, I even explained this like the past three weeks. I just felt like I prayed like every moment of the whole gathering. Um, but the truth of it is, I can't do anything, and I'm very aware of that. Like if you come to hear me speak today, um, I hope you're disappointed because. Um, I just, I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, that that's a God thing, or you're just going to hear me ramble, and, and I just, I don't want you to come in and to miss anything God's doing, and I just want to be out of the way. So um, this morning, we're going to be in Luke 22. I think I said that already, um, and we're going to continue. I know it's weird um, talking about the sovereignty of God. Um, I thought maybe we were done with that last week, and then um, as we got closer to this week, God was like, nope. Um, <laughs> So maybe maybe this is the last week, maybe it's not, I have no idea, um, God's just kind of doing what he wants to do, and that's really how I prefer it, um, 
So this morning we're going to be in Luke 22 and we're going to continue talking about the sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of God, I think we have, maybe it's up already, the definition is uh, sovereignty is supreme power or authority. So when you say the sovereignty of God, what you're actually saying is not God's kind of in charge if you let him be, but God's completely in charge, right? You see, the, the reality of it is you're either in charge or you're not. There's like a halfway or a kind of, um, because if you're kind of in charge, you're not in charge, right? If you're halfway in charge, you're not actually in charge. So to be, to be sovereignly in charge, it means that God has all the power, that's comforting today, right? Um, because, man, if he didn't, what are we doing? Right? Like, who, anybody show up today to see a kind of powerful God do kind of mediocre things? Because I could probably do that, right? I don't need God for that. I can kind of do some things, right? Everybody can. And if I can't, I can find somebody else that can. Like, I can't kind of work on cars, but I know a guy, right? <laughs> so I don't, I don't need a God that can kind of do stuff. I need a God that can completely do stuff. So not only does God have all power, the ability to do anything that he wants to do, right? But he also has all the authority. All authority, right? We, we've seen it through the Bible, and we hit it in little glimpses, and we're like, oh, it's cool. Like when Jesus um, comes back out of the grave, what's he say? Hey, I'm Jesus, by the way, and I have all the authority in heaven, which is cool, but also on earth that I have all the power to decide and determine what's going to happen throughout all of heaven and all earth and there's nothing anybody can do to stop me that's what God's saying when he says things like that I decide everything and that's amazing to me right like that's hard to hard to get your mind around we we serve a God today who not only has all the power and ability to do whatever he wants to do but he also gets to decide everything and when he decides it, it happens without the ability to, to be changed by me. And I know you hear that, and I hear that, and I don't know that I'm always very comfortable with that, right? Oh, but what about, you know, you've already thrown that in probably in your brain. But man, here's the reality. Either God has all the power and all the authority, or he has no power and no authority, because you can't just halfway do it, Right? So the sovereignty of God is what we've been talking about the past few weeks. We've been doing that kind of throughout the Bible in different spots. And this morning we're going to do that in Luke 22. Um, Luke 22, uh, to give you a minute to flip there if you haven't already got there, is one of the Gospels, one of the narratives of Jesus' life. Uh, probably one of my favorite uh, Gospels. I think if I'm going to just go to a Gospel, Luke is the one for me. Uh, so sort we of got the cute little Christmas story, right? Everybody loves, that's Luke. Uh, Luke is a details man, and I love that. Um, Luke, um, I think, is chronological, kind of moment by moment. Not everything, obviously, that happened to Jesus, but in order of the things that happened. He was a researcher. He, he would research and hear stories and eyewitness accounts of what Jesus had done from people who were really there, and then he would write these things down. And he would take careful um, position to make sure they were in the, the right space and the right order. Um, and I just appreciate that. I'm, I like details, right? I don't want to like halfway know what happened. I want to know what happened. And this is the reason I like Luke. And in Luke 22, we see it starts out um, with this festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover. Now, these are actually kind of two different connected events. The Passover was a celebration of um, the angel of death passing over the people of Israel when they were in Egypt. It's the final plague, like God was about to rescue his people up out of Egypt and, and um, 
I was going to do that because all the other plagues had just kind of been, okay, you can go, never mind, okay, you can go, never mind. It's every firstborn child or thing, right? And all of Egypt was going to be visited by the angel of death, and any firstborn was, was going to be killed. And that sounds like harsh, like, God, why would you do that, right? God uses bad things to do good things, right? Like, that's just, he, he does that. He can even allow bad things to happen and use them for good. And this is an instance where we see that happen. And anyway, he gives... Moses, this man who was leading these people, he gives, them, um, he gives them a command. He says, if you'll tell the people of Israel to take this lamb in their house, and then a few days later I want them to slaughter that lamb, and I want them to paint the doorpost with the blood of the lamb, then the angel of death will pass over them. This is Exodus. Already this image of a lamb being slaughtered to save God's people. Can I just say it's like not a coincidence today that this is the moment, this is the time that Jesus was going to die on the cross. Jesus wasn't like, you know, it'd be a great time to die the Passover. God was like, you know, it'd be great to tell people about my son way before he ever gets here, the Passover. So it's the time of the Passover. Um, That's the backdrop of the story today. And Jesus sits down to eat what we know as the, the Lord's Supper, right? The Last Supper, whatever you call it, wherever you come from, whatever your background is. It's, it's the dinner that he eats before he goes to the cross, right? And what this is, is it's actually a celebration of the Passover. It's, it's, the, it's the Passover meal. Where they were going to sit down and go through this script. And I've never been through the script, but there's like a certain thing that they read in a certain order. And the, all the things on the table, they mean certain things. And then Jesus takes this bread off the table, and I don't know what it used to mean, but now it means something else, and he, he, he rips this bread, and as he rips this bread and watches these fragments pull apart, he looks at his disciples very much with the cross in mind, and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Can you imagine that? Like We're hours before the cross and Jesus is doing this meal and he takes this bread knowing what it's going to feel like to be ripped in just a few hours and he starts tearing this bread apart and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. And he takes this cup that used to mean something else and he, he, he lifts it up and he says, and this is, this is the new covenant in my blood or paid for right by my blood. This new covenant that anybody that is covered in the blood, the angel of death, will pass over to you. You get what God's doing in this story. He does some teaching at the table, and then some weird stuff happens because disciples, they just never have it together, I'll be honest, which shouldn't surprise us because we don't either. He predicts Peter's denial. And then it gets to where we're going to be this morning in in 39, and it says he went out, out from this meal, out from this meeting place, and he made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives. Now that means this is something he's been doing for a while, right? Actually, I read something in, in the notes in my Bible that said this whole week as Jesus has been in Jerusalem, he didn't stay in Jerusalem all the time, but he was there the whole week before he went to the cross. And this whole week at night when the disciples would, would go to sleep, they would go up to the Mount of Olives, and this is kind of where they would camp out. So when it says as usual, uh, it's, it's the place where they'd been staying. 
He says he went out as usual and he went to the Mount of Olives to this campsite and it says and the disciples followed him which is probably a good idea since the definition of disciples is follower of Jesus right so they they went up the mountain with him and it says in 40 when he reached the place now the place is he's been staying in this place all week right I think it really 100% means that. He's, this is just the place. It's the campsite. It's the place they've been. It's the usual spot. This is the, this is the area they've been in. And, and I say that because I don't want you to miss something in just a moment. But I also think it means the place that God ordained for them to be. Everything that's about to happen depends actually upon them being in this place. And this is the place that Jesus went to. And it says they went to the place, or when he had reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, I totally get the first part of that, right? Pray. That's a good idea, right? I think that's good advice for anybody today, pray. You know, that, pray. That for some of us, right, that would be life-changing if we would just do that more than, hey, God, thanks for the subway, and hey, God, I hope I wake up in the morning, right? Like, pray, that would be good. But that's not like where he ends at, right? He kind of gets a little weird here. And he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And it makes me think, like, what's going on in this garden, right? (laughs) Nobody? Okay, thank you. Uh, Nobody thinks like me, apparently. I'm just weird on on my own. But, like, really, what what are you going to be tempted from in an olive garden, right? There's, like, trees there. And there's olives uh, like there's not wild parties happening on the Mount of Olives that I know of. What's so tempting about the gluttony maybe, right? I don't like olives, so that wouldn't be for me. But like well, what's, the, what's the temptation he's talking about here? Pray that you may not enter into temptation is what he says to these guys. And if I'm one of these guys, I'm like, dude, tempted from what? Like I'm tired. We're in olive thing. There's nothing really to do here, right? I don't, how about I just pray and go to sleep? That'd be me. What, what is he talking about here? Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And, uh, you know, like you start thinking about it and what's happening in the story at this moment. Jesus knows, or I'm a, I'm a few hours from the cross. This is somewhere between nine o'clock and midnight where Jesus would be arrested when he goes to the Mount of Olives. And he knows that at midnight he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried a couple times through the night. Six or seven o'clock in the morning, he's going to be tried. Nine o'clock, he's going to be nailed to a piece of wood and he's going to hang there till three and his friends are going to watch him die. That's what Jesus knows is about to happen. And these guys, these guys who are his best friends on the planet, who he spent like years with now at this point in time, these guys are going to get a front row seat to the whole thing. Can you imagine that? Like, they're going to see Jesus arrested. And that would be like earth-shattering enough. They're going to see him tried, and they're going to see him convicted for basically no crime, right? They're going to see... Their best friend beaten, like the Bible says, beyond the point of recognition, they're going to they're watch him bleed. They're going to watch them put a crown of thorns on his head to mock him. They're going to they're watch him drag a cross up a hill, and then they're going to watch him take nails in his wrist and his feet, be lifted up kind of uh, above the world, and, and they're going to watch him sit there and bleed for hours until he suffocates to death on his own blood. That's what they're about to see. That's earth-shattering, right? 
Like we've, we think we've seen it, right? Because you've seen the passion of the Christ. You're like, oh, that's, that's horrible. That, that's calm. That's tame. And it's a movie. And you know at the end what's going to happen. These men are living in the moment of this thing. And they're going to watch him go through all this. A man who they've seen do amazing things, right? They have seen Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus raise the dead. They've seen him feed thousands of people. They've seen all, all sorts of things. He's had the ability to help others, and they're going to think, man, he's helpless. This is a man that they have confessed is the Messiah, right? This is God's chosen one who's bringing in the, the kingdom of Israel. They had no concept, really, of what any of that meant. They thought he was going to come in and set up a kingdom, and they were going to rule by his side. Like, who wouldn't sign up for that? That's what they think, thought they were getting on board for. And then they're going to watch him bleed to death. And they're not going to be sitting there thinking, oh, just wait a couple days, man. They're going to be thinking, we missed it. It isn't him. How could this be the plan of God? How, it's, it's shocking, really. We've heard it so many times, but really, if you think about it, like, how could this be the plan of God? How could this be the plan of God? That, that the Messiah, the Savior, he would come and he would live 33 and a half years and then God would crush him? That's what's about to go down. And what they're praying for, and they don't even know it, is pray that you don't enter into temptation to do what? To run, to give up, to not see it through to the end of the story, to not make it to day number three. Pray, pray that you stay where I told you to stay, that you're in that room when it's time to be in that room. Pray that you huddle together and you can get each other through this thing. Pray that nobody falls off the end. Nobody gets to the fringes. Nobody takes off out of Israel and Jerusalem. Nobody misses this. You want to stay around, so I need you to pray. And I need you to pray like everything depends on it. Pray that you don't enter into temptation because when I die, there's going to be a guy in your ear saying, idiot, he's not the Savior. You're so dumb. Remember when you were standing in that field and you were like, oh, you're the Christ. Oh, dude, he's not. Pray that you don't listen to that voice. That's what he's saying. Jesus calls them out into this place. They've been every day, and he says something that he's not said to my knowledge all week. He says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. And then it says in 41, then he, being Jesus, withdrew from them about a stone's throw. I don't know how far you can throw a stone, but he didn't go far. Far enough to hear what's going on far enough they could still see him and then Jesus did something amazing it says he knelt down can you can you imagine what that would have been like here's the son of god the savior and he kneels down and he begins to pray this isn't the first time that he's done it but in this moment i just feel like it's probably a little different with the weight of what's about to happen and they see Jesus off in the distance, and he kneels down, and he begins to pray. I think maybe this is the strongest argument I can give you for why prayer is important in the church. Prayer is so important that Jesus even prayed. 
right? Like Jesus recognizes in this moment the power and the necessity of prayer, and he is God. I always think it's weird when Jesus prays, right? Because it's God talking to God. <laughs> How does that even work? It's like talking to yourself, right? Like, but here Jesus is praying. And man, if Jesus needs to pray, how much more do we need to pray? So Jesus kneels down and he begins to pray. He turns his attention not to what's about to happen, but to heaven. Not to what's going on around him, but to the Father. And he says this, Father, Daddy, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. I'm going to read it again. Dad, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. I'll be honest with you. um, This verse used to bother me. You don't have to raise your hand this morning, but maybe it's bothered some of you guys. Why would Jesus, moments, hours before the cross, be praying what seems like, God, I don't really want to do this. Dad, I don't don't really want to go through this. Because on paper, like, that's what it means, right? God, if if you're willing, I, I don't want that cup. What's the cup he's talking about? The, the full wrath of God. Not a couple nails, right? Dad, I don't, I don't want to put nails in me. That's not what he's praying. Something greater than that, right? It's not, uh, Dad, I'd prefer they don't make fun of me. It's something greater than that. Not, Dad, if they could just maybe only hit me a couple times with the whip. It's not that that he's praying. What he's praying on paper, right, is, is Dad, I, I, I don't want to do this. God, if you're, if you're willing, I don't, I don't want to drink that cup. I don't, I'd rather not drink that cup. And it, it, it used to bother me. And I'll be honest, it used to bother me because everything I've ever read in this word says Jesus was heading to the cross way before, right? He ever got to the garden. Way before he ever entered Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, Jesus was headed to the cross. Actually, the Bible calls him a lamb slain before the foundations of the world. In other words, I made up my mind before I ever stepped down into Bethlehem, I was going to be the Savior. I made up my mind before I ever spoke anything into existence, I was going to be the Savior. And that's all I've ever read. It's all I've ever seen. And here's this moment that seems to contradict this thing. And I'll be honest, if it was you or me, I could totally get that, couldn't you? I've prayed similar prayers. God, I don't want to go through this. God, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to. Like, if we have the foresight to do that in bad situations, that's exactly what we do. God, I don't want to be here. But not Jesus, who'd made up his mind before he ever created anything, that he was coming to the cross. But I don't think that's what he's saying. Actually, I think everything up until this moment is evidence that that is not what he's saying. If Jesus didn't want to go to the cross, it's simple. He's Jesus. (laughs) Nope. Right? Even if he was a man, right? Like, 
he could manipulate this where he would never have to go to the cross. Hey, it's going bad in Jerusalem. I'm getting out of here. Going to Samaria. There's never going to be a Jew follow you there. But what does he do? He goes up the mountain that he's been to every week, every day this week. And he goes to the exact same camping spot. And he kneels down and he waits. Jesus is not running from the cross. He's doing exactly what the plan is. I'm going to go where I've showed Judas that we're going to be all week. He's not here, by the way. He left the table a little early. He was going to betray Jesus. Jesus knew it. They had the conversation. He said, what you're going to do, do it quickly. Judas got up and he left and he went to get the crowd together. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to go where I've shown him that we sleep every day this week. I'm going to go to the same camping site. I'm going to go to the same spot. I'm not even going to pick a different spot in the garden. I'm going to go to the same spot. I'm going to walk about a stone's throw away, and I'm going to kneel down, and I'm going to wait. But while I wait, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to check, Daddy, is it still what you want? What does he say? If you are willing, if it's in your will, if it be possible, if there's any other way in your brain that this is something you would have done, then I want it. In this moment, what's Jesus doing? He's not praying to get away from the cross. He's checking back in and he's like, Dad, is this still plan A? Is it still the plan? Because if it's your plan, I'll just stand up when they get here and stretch out my arms and we'll go. If it is the plan, they can cuff me, they can take me, they can beat me, they can nail me, they can hang me, and they can suffocate me. If that's what you want. But before we do that, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. So if you're willing, if it's in your will, that this is not the cup that I drink, Tell me. But then what's he say? But nevertheless, not my will. It's not about what I want. It's not about, I know it's going to hurt. Anybody think the cross sounds remotely pleasant? See, I think this is the greatest evidence that Jesus was going to feel the full pain of everything that was about to happen. I think it's easy for us to kind of get into this swing mindset of Jesus was God and pain just didn't work the same way for him. Anybody ever thought that, by the way? That's me. I'm like, I've thought that. You don't have to, you have, don't lie to me. We're in church. But I've thought that. I'm like, man, maybe it just didn't hurt as much for Jesus, right? Because he's Jesus, and he can do whatever he wants to, and he has all the power and the authority and the might, and he he can just block pain receptors if he wants to. He doesn't even have to have them. Because he's God. But he didn't do that, did he? See, this is, Evidence of the fact that God, Jesus here, was about to feel the full weight of the pain of the cross. He was going to feel every ounce of what it felt like to have thorns driven into your brow. He was going to feel that. And yes, he's God, but yes, this flesh and blood hurts. You don't believe me, like, right, let's find a nail gun. He was going to feel what it felt like to have spikes driven into his body he, he was going to feel that 
He was going to feel what it felt like to be beaten beyond the point of recognition. He was going to feel all that. And even greater than that, he was going to feel what it was like for a completely perfect and holy being who had existed forever and never experienced sin to have the weight of every sin and shame crushing him. And I think he was saying, you know what? The flesh, it's saying this is not going to be fun. But it's not really about what I want. It's about what you want. So he prays in the spot. He prays, Daddy, if you're willing, if it be possible, if there's any other way, I don't really know that I want to drink that cup. But then he just submits right back into the will of God, doesn't he? And he says, nevertheless, not my will, not what I want, but yours be done. It's not about me. Isn't that a hard prayer? See, I'm really good at the front half of this prayer, right? God, take it away. God, I don't want to do this. God, I'd rather not go through this. God, I don't, I don't want to. But here we even see the Son model for us submitting to the sovereignty of God. He didn't go off in private and hide in a closet and have this conversation where it would never hit the page. He's like, man, I want him to read this. Because I want him to not just pray the front half. You don't need anybody to model that for you, do you? God, I don't want to go through this. We're really good at complaining about stuff. We were born that way. Usually, if this part doesn't go well, we don't fall into the second part. We fall into, well, I'm mad and I'm just not going to hang out with you anymore. But Jesus here prays, um, not my will, not what I want, but your will be done. Jesus submits to the sovereignty of the Father. And if Jesus, being the Son of God, with what we see very soon is all the authority in heaven and on earth and all the power of God, if he submits to the sovereignty of God, how much more should we submit to the sovereignty of God? Jesus is saying here, Dad, you, you know what's best. And I need them to know you know what's best. We talked about last week this idea that we see very little of the picture, right? 
We live in this place, and we, we can see kind of what's around us. We can see our circumstances, but we serve a God who sees the whole picture, the whole puzzle, right? Hebrews, I think, 4 even says that no creature is hidden from him, that God sees everything. And he sees even in a way that we can't understand because I can see what's in front of me, but God can see everything. I have directional vision and God just sees everything all at the same time in real time. And we serve a God who, who, who orchestrates events to complete the picture because he sees the whole thing. We see these 30 seconds, we see in real time. We can't see the future and we barely even see the past. But we serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And there's not even a beginning or an end, if you just want to wrap your mind around that with me today. And here Jesus, he models for us that we, we can put situations in the hand of God and trust that no matter what his answer is, the outcome will be worth it because we serve that God. It's, it's a trust thing. It's a faith thing. It doesn't mean you have to like everything. Right? If you're willing, rather not. That's a fine prayer. That's a prayer maybe some of you guys are praying right now. God, if you're willing, I'd rather not, right? God, if, if you got a different plan, a different way, if there's any other cup, I'd rather just have the other cup. That's a fine prayer. As long as it's followed by, but man, not my will. Right? Now for Jesus, this isn't true, but for us it is. I'm not God. Not my will. But yours be done. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of us that have messed that part up. I've lived it, right? Over stupid stuff and big stuff. I've, I've done it for both, right? Shut my finger in the door. God, oh, I'm so mad. Why'd you let that? You know, like, didn't get the parking spot I wanted. God, I'm in a hurry. And for some of us, things that, man, I couldn't even imagine, right, from stage right now. And we've lived the first part of the prayer, but the second part of the prayer, what developed was anger or frustration or God, you don't see me or God, you don't hear me or God, right? None of that's true. None of that's true. We just serve a God who sees a picture that we don't see and who, who works in, in ways that we don't even understand. And we can choose to trust in that in these moments or we can choose the other direction in these moments. But really, honestly, there's only two, right? God, I'm not getting what I want. You're not doing what I'm asking for, but I trust you anyway. Or God, you're not doing what I want and I'm done. And you can do that from a seat in the church.
but at least it's an option, right, that we can trust that, God, you know what you're doing, even in bad moments. See, here's the reality. I think I said this weeks ago. I would rather follow a God who I don't understand than a God that has no ability. I would rather follow a God that even when bad things happen, I can't wrap my mind around him than a God who has no power and no authority. And in this verse, what Jesus is doing is he's submitting to the authority of God. What he's inviting us to do from an earshot, from a stone's throw away, is in those same moments. Here in just a few days, right? In a few hours for them. God, I don't see how this is your plan. But help me just to stay right here. This is in 43, this amazing thing happened at this moment. It says, then an angel from heaven appeared to him, and it says it strengthened him. Do you get what that didn't say? It rescued him. It pulled him out of the situation, that it moved him from the garden to some far off place. Look at what's happening here. God, I don't know that I want to do this. I don't know if, if this is not your plan, if there's any other way. Man, this is going to hurt a lot. If there's a different way, I just, I'd rather be in the different way. But nevertheless, not your will, but mine be done. And what's the father do? He reaches down and pulls him away from the cross. God says, no, son, this is the way. Man, I wonder how many of us, like if we would just had our listening ears on when these situations were happening in our life, we're like, God, save me, God, save me, God, save me. How many of us would hear, no, son, this is the way. This is the way. I know it's hard. Can you imagine what the father is going through like internally as he's about to watch his son who he loves very much be crushed by the weight of sin and shame? But if it's the only way, it's the only way. So he says, no, son, this is the way. But I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you strength. Submit to the will, and I will give you strength. So just say, God, whatever's in your will, that'll be done. And God may not pull us out of it, but man, he will send us strength to get through it. It says, and the angel from heaven appeared, and he strengthened him. And it says in 44, being in anguish, he fervently, or he prayed more fervently. In this moment, this is the prayer just kicking up, right? And it says his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And it says in 45, when he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. And he says, why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you won't enter into temptation, so you won't be tempted to run. Get up and pray that you won't run 
When this happens, get up and pray. It's going to happen. What's Jesus doing here? He gets up in, in, in a different way. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there's anguish. Yes, yes, he's pouring drops of blood. Jesus was the first one to shed Jesus' blood, by the way. He's pouring great drops of blood, and he gets up. And what's he start doing? He starts preparing his disciples because Jesus knows, I'm going to the cross. He gets up strengthened in resolve of the plan of God, right? That's, that's what happens when we pray in a way that's not, God, it's all about me. God, it's all about me. It's all what I want. It's all what I need. And then we start praying, God, what do you want? God, what do you want? Maybe what you want is not what I want. Maybe your plan is not my plan, and it's not your plan, God, that needs to change. It's mine. See, for some of us, we have the foresight. We've been, we've been alive long enough on this planet to look back and see, man, isn't it good that God didn't give us everything that we've ever asked for? Isn't it good that God didn't always rescue us? Isn't it good that when we were praying these things, we were like, God, let me out of it, let me out of it, let me out of it. He didn't let us out of it. Because see, in reality, we have no idea what we need. We just know what we want, and our wants are not always good. But man, what I know this morning is we trust and we, and we follow a good God. Do you believe that? We, we know and we trust and we follow today a God who's infinitely good. Not a God who's kind of good with a little bit of a mean spirit and some sarcasm. But a God who's infinitely good. And here's the amazing thing, a God who infinitely wants good for us in such a way that it would please him to crush his son so he could give us the ultimate good. I want, I want you to hear that today. We serve a God that is so good. In Isaiah 53, what's it say? pleased him to crush him. A God who would allow the ultimate, in my opinion, bad that's ever happened on this planet to happen because there was no other way to bring good to me. That's just crazy, isn't it? That's the sovereignty of God, the power of God, the ability of God. That, that's, that's that God who, yes, does get to make all the decisions and all the shots, and he gets to call every play. That's that God. And not all those are going to seem good in the moment. And sometimes we're going to be sitting on our couch trying to tell God how to be God better, right? But at the end of the day, what always happens is God uses whatever he's got to bring good. What's Romans say? All things work together for the good of those that love him. That's what it says right there in the book, right? All things work together for the good of those that love him. 
And I don't know what today's thing is, right? And I don't know what yesterday's thing is. And maybe it's been the same thing for like a year now or more than a year. I don't know what it is for you. But I just want to speak that today, that we serve a God who even in the bad things uses it to work good. You're not serving a God today who's against you and who's wanting bad for you, and who's going to allow destruction to just come upon you and rain upon you and just wash you out and destroy you. You're serving a God who we've seen over and over and over again walks in things with people, but also walks out of things with people. We've seen it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what happens to them? They get tossed in a furnace. God, I'm only going to worship you, and I hope you save me, but if you don't save me, you're still God, and you're still good. And they chuck them in, right? Would you rather probably not be in the furnace today? I'm sure you would. But man, what's the king say? Hey guys, I thought we only threw three people in the furnace. But man, I see a fourth. And that fourth, he's like the son of man. You go shut the furnace off and you bring those guys out. I want to see what's going on in the furnace. I need to see what's happening in the furnace. And they walk out. Okay, there's an issue. You were in a furnace and you walked out. There's something already happening weird here. And as they get closer, they start smelling. You smell anything? I don't either. There's not a scar, there's not a scratch, there's not a burn, even their clothes don't smell like smoke. How did that happen? Well, it happened, you already got the answer because there's one like the son of man that's in the fire. What happens with Daniel? There's no way I'm going to serve any other God. And my God, he'll rescue me, but if he doesn't, still God. He'll save me. I believe that. But if he doesn't, I just want you to know he's still God. If I'm in the belly of the lion later on tonight, if they eat me for dinner, he's still God and he's still good. Toss him in. Come back the next day. What's he doing? He's petting cats, right? Like the lions are just sitting there. You explain that. It was designed to kill you, but it had not one shot. Because the one walking with you is greater. It's greater. Over and over and over and over and over again, it's the stories, right? Can I just say today, it's not some words on a page. We're living on the page today. Somewhere between, right? Like somewhere between Jude and Revelation. We're living in that day and God is writing stories on a page somewhere in heaven today about our life. Stories of rescue and stories about how we were in the fire but there was a Savior, there was a Redeemer. Stories about how I was thrown in the pit with the lions but there was a man named Jesus who stepped down into the pit. God's still writing stories like that today. And I think, actually I know what he's doing is he's not writing stories just so we get to read them. He's writing stories and he's looking for people today that'll say, you know what? Even if he doesn't, I know God's going to save me, but even if he doesn't, I need all you guys to know he's still good. If I drop out of it on the stage today, he's still good. 
If they get me on the way home, he's still good. If I lose everything I got, he's still good. If this sickness gets me, he's still good. If everything falls apart for me today, he is still good. He's still good. I want you to know today that's the sovereignty of God. He is still good no matter what happens to me. I believe he's going to make it right here or in heaven because that's the God that we serve. Today, for some of us, uh, just I know we're going through stuff, right? Maybe not everybody. Maybe some of you guys, you just need to store this up. You need seed for tomorrow. Maybe for some of us, we're going through something today and, and we've fallen into, God, where have you, where, what have you done? God, why'd you leave me? We've fallen into, right, even, even if we're here this morning, it's possible to do all this from a chair in a church. I've done it. God, I don't know that you're good because I don't feel that you're good. My prayer for you this morning is that you would just release that. Some of you know what it's like to be angry at God because you are right now or you have been. Because something didn't work out your way. Can I just say there's no other way it can work out today than God's way. Not if he's sovereign. And maybe today what we need to do is we need to come and we need to lay that down. Maybe we're going through it. Maybe we've went through it. Maybe we're living in it. Maybe we've just kind of came out of it. But we need to lay that down. And say, God, today I trust you. Maybe for some of us today, we aren't in a specific situation, but we are lost. What do you mean lost? Well, I mean you don't know God. I know about God, not the same thing. I mean, there are people in this room today who have never experienced God. And maybe you feel alone and lost and in in the sea of things, right? Maybe you feel like everything in life is clicking, but you know in you there's a hole that just needs something. And I just want to say to you, if that's you today, Jesus came to fill that hole. So you were created for God. That's just fact. Why do we think we see a world that's struggling to find love? Because we were created for only one love. A world struggling for acceptance and hope, and we're looking for this thing to fix our problems and heal our problems. There's never going to be enough money or a good enough politician to fix our problems. Because our problem is we were created for God, and sin came and it severed that relationship. But thanks be to God, he sent Jesus and he seen fit to crush Jesus under the weight of our sin and our shame so we could be free. So that we'd have an open door, so we'd have a way back into God. And maybe you're like, well, that's not for me. Well, it's for everybody. What's John 3.16 say? Like the only verse any of us know, for God so loved the world. That's you. And everybody that would ever breathe on this mud ball. That he gave, right? He freely gave his one and only son to be crushed 
so that anybody that believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. God come to make a way to fill that hole in you. And it came through Jesus. And today, you may not be struggling with life. Maybe, actually, spiritually, you're dead. But if you'll just surrender to God, he'll make a way.